Welcome to the Unexpected Leader Podcast. You know, in the past, God chose to call fishermen and tax collectors to join him on his mission. Today, he still calls the broken. They may be sons and daughters of mechanics or of business women and men. You may be one of them in a position of lay or vocational leadership in a church or a mission agency. But if you, like me, find yourself unexpectedly in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This season, we're looking at young leaders and their journey. Thanks for taking the time to listen in. I want to welcome you to uh, this edition of the Unexpected Leader podcast. Today, I'm joined with Lois Mitchell. Lois, it's good to have you uh, here today. Yeah, good to be here as always. And we're joined today with Dan Pike. And uh, Dan, it's good to have you with us today. Thank you, Gareth. Good to be here with you. For those of you who don't know Dan, Dan has joined us uh, at the Canadian Baptist of Atlanta, Canada as the Director of Youth and Family. So Dan, just as we get started, um, one of the questions that we'd like to ask and get a sense of is just around when you were in high school, was was vocational ministry on your radar? Is it something that you were thinking about? And uh, if so, kind of what were some of the circumstances around that? Yeah, it wasn't on my radar when I went into high school, but partway through high school, my youth pastor pulled me aside at uh, some sort of a youth event and said, hey, Dan, have you thought about ministry? Have you thought about vocational ministry? And uh, so kind of this conversation snowballed from there. I began talking with my local church, my parents and friends, and I was really affirmed and supported in that way. And and part of the uniqueness of that is that out of my core youth group, um, there's probably five or six of us that have um, been in full-time vocational ministry at at some point or another. Wow. I I mean, that's fascinating. Uh, You know, I, I just am reflecting on my own church experience going through high school. And we also have probably about four or five who have served in pastoral ministry out of that cohort that went through. Just as you think back on that, what do you think some of the context that you were in that God raised up, you know, a number of you to serve uh, in pastoral ministry? Yeah, I think our our youth pastor was a key part in that. We had incredible volunteers who poured into us and a number of those volunteers I I still connect with. You know, they're they're still my youth leaders in a lot of ways and and follow them on Facebook and, 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 and that. And, and we had a very close peer group. And so we just became very tight friends and we supported each other. And as we were wrestling through kind of these calls to ministry, we were able to kind of wrestle through them together. As you think back to those moments and that conversation with your youth pastor, can you like describe a little bit about how that felt for him to identify that in you, call that out you know, from you and then have that affirmed? Can you kind of think back and remember what that actually felt like? It was definitely validating. Uh, it was encouraging. I had a, had a lot of respect for my youth pastor, and so for him to come to me and 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 recognize that in me, it just it really validated who I was as a person, and and affirmed that yeah, maybe God could use me. Um, I was very much an introvert, very shy, and didn't see that in myself. Um, but through that conversation, it really began a, a work of God. So you've been in pastoral ministry for a while now, and now you're working. Uh, as the director of youth and family, how has that experience for you of having that validation and and your youth pastor draw that out in you? How has that helped shape kind of your philosophy or your thought around working with young leaders that you come across, whether it's been in your youth ministry or local church setting, uh, or even heading into your new role? A big part of that is kind of those three 
pieces that really worked in, in my life. So having the involvement of the youth pastor, having youth leaders who were, were so invested, so connected, you know, having us over to their home, you know, they weren't paid to do that, but and that was my first connection to youth group. I ended up at uh, this, this couple's home and I didn't know them. I didn't know anyone else in the room. And that was my first exposure to youth group and having that close peer group. And so as a, as a youth pastor, those were pieces that I try to bring into into my students' lives. And so try and encourage those those close friendships through going to events and mission tours and uh, having youth leaders, you know, pouring into our youth leaders so that they see their role not just simply as, as, as babysitters or kind of hall monitors, but actually like investing into and pouring into the lives of, of students. And that's, I suspect that's the kind of thing that it's not a generational thing. Like it's not something that worked at one time, won't work now. That's, that's a steady component of identifying and calling people into ministry roles. Yeah, I really believe so. Dan, as I hear, uh, you know, the first part of your story about it was during high school that, you know, you begin to wrestle with and kind of sense and, and respond to God's invitation to join him in vocational ministry. You may be the first uh, in since we've started uh, this podcast that has identified that it was that early on in the journey. Most are, you know, in university or post, you know, school career and God does something that draws them in. For someone who ministry has been a part of your story for a while, as you moved from education into living kind of what God had invited you to, has that been as expected or were there things that happened that were unexpected uh, in terms of the reality of what God had invited you to? Yeah, I guess I, I didn't go into ministry with with a lot of deep expectations or, or or firm expectations, but definitely going in thinking, oh yeah, this is this is what it's going to always be like, I guess. And so, as a youth group kid in the '90s, that was in a lot of ways that seemed culturally kind of like the heyday of, of youth ministry. That's when our youth groups were, were large, you know, and and growing up in a in a mainline uh, church, you know, our youth group was you know 40 to 50 kids at that time. So I think in some ways I probably expected youth ministry to always kind of look like that. And it certainly hasn't, but uh, as culture has, has changed, as churches move even more to the periphery of culture, um, it's still been so exciting and, and so many moments of, of great joy and, and, and moments of frustration and, and heartache along the way too. So maybe not what I expected, but have really learned that um, God is with me, God has been leading my students. And so it's, it's neat to look back over the last couple of decades and see where God has taken some of those students. I want to probe, Dan, a little bit. The the phrase, uh, as the church has moved more to the periphery of culture, I think is something like what you said. And and also, I, I guess I hadn't really thought so much about the 90s being kind of the heyday of youth ministry. And so, therefore, going into ministry at that time with sort of this concept of what youth ministry was going to entail and then experiencing, like, being part of the shifts where youth ministry, you know, youth groups maybe don't look like they did at that time. Um, can you talk a little bit about the culture shifts where that moved the church more to the periphery and how has that, how has that impacted your role as a leader within the youth culture? I mean, I guess it's been gradual. And so as I, as I look back on some of the shifts that I've seen, you know, I, I certainly see that with, with students, there's, there's a greater sense of busyness. You know, when I think back to when I was starting out in youth ministry as, as an intern and then as a part-time youth pastor, uh, students didn't have the same level of commitment to all kinds of extracurriculars that they do now. And so, and especially in 
when I was in the Valley in a, in a rural community, there wasn't a lot else happening for, for youth in, in that small town and that community um, as there might be now. You know, I, and I think the, the rise of the digital age is, is a significant factor too. And, um, and so just connecting with students is very different. It's, it's, you know, I don't pick up the phone and call my students now. Um, I would text them or message them. And so it's just that the way that I, I connect with students is drastically different than it, than it was. Do you find the position of the church more at the periphery of culture in, in your ministry? Is that a challenge? Is it just a reality that you just have to work with? Um, do you see opportunity in, in that location? I think uh, there's always opportunity. And I think a big part of it has to do with our, our mindset. And so if we see it as a season of opportunity, as a, as a location of opportunity, then I think that gets us a lot further ahead than if we're still bemoaning the the loss of influence that, that we have. And I guess I'm young enough that maybe I don't ever remember when church had that kind of cultural influence. But I think, you know, I think our, our attitude, our mindset has a lot to do with how we see it as, as opportunity. So Dan, picking up on, on the transition of culture and how that's affected youth ministry and affected church life and, and thinking along those lines, um, what do you think has been the most uh, unexpected thing that you've come across in pastoral ministry, uh, whether it would be out of a church culture, whether it would be out of outside of the church community, what's been kind of the most unexpected thing that has maybe caught you that you're going to, oh, that's not something I was expecting. I think one of the, the biggest things that I've been surprised by is the, the loss of biblical story. And I remember it was Easter a couple of years ago and I was running a, a youth group where it was largely community kids that were, were coming to youth group. And I remember telling them the, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. And I think we had a video that kind of went along that kind of helped share that story. And there was a number of students in the, in the room who had never heard that before. And, and that really surprised me. And I, and I noticed that over you know, the last decade, that even within our, our church youth, there's been a declining loss of, of knowledge of the biblical story. And so missing out on, on pieces in terms of how big parts of the story fit together, um, even what I would have thought are, are, are basic pieces of the story of Jesus. You know, I've even seen in our, in our church youth uh, a lack of that knowledge, um, so a lack of that sense of, of that bigger story, that bigger narrative that informs the way that we do life and, and why we are part of a church family. So when you think about uh, moving into the role that you've now come into, you now are having conversations with a lot of the other youth leaders. Uh, and I mean, for years you've served on our youth and family working group as well. And so is this a common experience that people are experiencing, like this decline of, uh, I'll just say the Jesus narrative in culture, and that there's a biblical illiteracy that has occurred even within our own churches? Uh, is that something that others are wrestling with? And that seems to me, and you've talked about this, seeing it as an opportunity, and how are some of the ways that you can address the opportunity? Yeah, definitely. I've had a lot of conversations with leaders over the years, uh, both when I served as a children's pastor and, and, and as a youth pastor, and recognizing that that declining loss of, of biblical narrative. In a lot of ways, it, it even comes back to the way that we do children's ministry 
and you know, as, as a parent now with four kids, helping my children have a sense of, of what the Jesus story is. And so as we look at our, our children's ministry, I think those are really key years when we need to be teaching the story of Jesus, the bigger story of the Bible. And so not just simply using different characters like David and Daniel as, as moral examples, but really helping them see the bigger picture. Okay, what is God up to? You know, really helping our children see God is the main actor in the in the biblical story. And I think that helps lay a foundation that, that carries students through to youth ministry. And so as I look back on my years when I served as a, as a youth and children's pastor and began making that shift in, in our children's ministry and now seeing those students who were children now as youth and young adults and seeing that they have a, a deeper grasp of the story really have seen that that play out and and inform their their faith their their walk with Jesus it's making me think Dan as we think about the age at which people are introduced to the gospel and to the narrative the bigger picture on the one hand you know having the privilege of teaching children is one thing but increasingly I think we're going to have people come to that narrative at various points you know middle age older people coming to it and the challenge that presents, but again, also opportunity to frame that narrative in a particular way so that it's not just, it's not just a story that the story contains, you know, principles and the, you know, the wisdom that is meant to, to inform our lives in all of its various aspects from, you know, our, our social world, our vocational world, our political world, all of those things. So I guess if I could put this as a question, it's one thing to talk about the narrative, but to engage people with scripture so that they want to not just know the story, but to really dig deeper into the story and have it speak into their lives. Are you noticing any differences in how that happens or their openness to scripture? Yeah, I, I guess as a, as a youth pastor, I've definitely seen an openness in my students towards scripture, but not always knowing how to do that. And so, I mean, there's been times when I've even bribed my students to complete a reading plan together and said, okay, if, if we can see this happen, then, uh, you know, we'll do this or we'll make this happen or we'll have pizza. I think there's a couple students I still owe a trip to a trampoline park or something for completing a reading program that they did. So. Yeah, so I guess in, in some ways I've, I've bribed students to to engage with scripture, but it's actually like it's opened up deep conversations and it's helped create some habits and some rhythms in, in their lives. And so even now, though I'm not serving in a, in a role as a youth pastor, I still have a number of those students who will message me with questions about things that they're they're reading in scripture or questions that they have about their faith. Uh, seeing some of those practices, some of those those rhythms kind of take root. Um, so there is an openness to scripture. I think it's it's such a big book. It's so intimidating that, you know, for a 13 year old, when they look at it, they just don't know where to start or how to make sense. You know, when they're reading through the genealogies or the Old Testament laws, you know, they just, they don't know how to make sense of that. You know, and I think for a lot of us as adults, we don't know how to make sense of a lot of that. I was going to say, you could be 53 and it may not make a lot of sense. <laughs> Um, just a follow-up to that, too, because that's uh, as you were saying that, I'm thinking about youth and, and even young adults who are at a point when they have really challenging issues in their own life. Like they've, there are issues that they want answers to. And as they go into Scripture to look for those answers, like the opportunity to, to connect the dots for them between what Scripture is telling them from, you know, 2,000 years ago in some cases to what's going on in their world, their social networks, their political ideas. Does that become the subject of, of youth ministry more so in these days than it might have been in the past? 
it's part of the conversation, part of the question with students. You know, they want to see how this connects to their day-to-day life. They want to see how this is relevant, how this is authentic to to how they're living their life and, and how this makes sense. We need to be constantly helping make those connections, build those bridges between their lives and, and between scripture. And that's why I love studying scripture in community and inviting a group of students together and say, hey, let's look at this passage. Um, let's spend some time reading it together. Uh, what are your questions? What are your thoughts? Often when I'm when I'm going to a Bible study, I don't have like a, a big curriculum sketched out in terms of, okay, this is point A, this is point B, but um, I'll often come with a scripture passage and, and I'll have some thoughts sketched out, but I want to let the students drive the conversation and, and ask their questions and help them do some of the hard work in, in making the connection to their life. I'm wondering if their motivation for that is is more pragmatic sometimes, you know, like they, they need to know what to do about a situation or about an issue. You know, we might love to sit and have conversation that's more intellectual, academic, but I, I'm wondering if students are really looking for you know, what do I do with this information? What do I do with this understanding? You know, in an age when Greta Thunberg or other people are, are really sort of capturing public imagination around issues, how do we help students to connect scripture to those kinds of issues in ways that are meaningful for them? Yeah, for sure. So I think being aware of some of those bigger issues and those issues that are at the forefront of, of the youth's social imagination, using scripture to talk about climate change and how this is, should be something that's that's the action of the whole church and that this is something that we should be concerned about and, and here is where we see this outlined in, in scripture. And I don't I don't just do that in youth ministry. I mean, I've, I've done sermons from the from the pulpit as well on, on climate change and I had a number of people say, wow, I didn't realize that our faith connected to climate change in this way. And I guess maybe I'm young enough that I thought, I don't see how it didn't, but uh, it's been great for conversation. Going back to those conversations with with the young adults or the the youth and and the community around church on some of those issues, what other conversations do you find yourself having when you were actively involved in in leading a youth group and working with youth in your church context, and even today as you transition with other youth leaders, what are the number one conversations that you're having? Yeah, I think with with students, seeing conversations come up around issues of of sexuality, around end times theology, um, you know, big ideas, but in the same way, very grounded in their reality and in their day to day and their in their school lives. And so, one of the the most helpful practices that I had in in that and trying to get in a sense of what's happening in in their day to day life was to make it a practice to be in their high school. And so, going into the high school once a week, uh, taking pizza, and using that as a way to engage them in conversation because that that's entering into into their world. And so, as they're coming up with questions that come up during the, the school day, myself and another youth pastor were able to be there to help engage those questions kind of almost like in real time. So that's been, yeah, that's been a good practice and it just helps me be aware of, of some of those big questions and, and as my students are making sense of, of what their world looks like. When it comes to, to youth leaders and the conversations with, with them, the conversation shifts, but it's often around their own state of well-being, their, their discouragement, uh, their frustrations at all kinds of levels, I mean, but also the things that give them joy and, and even just trying to swap ideas and say, okay, what are you seeing that's working in your, in, in your youth ministry? What are the highs? What are the joys that, that you're seeing happening? 
and you know and and some of the bigger cultural trends that, trends that we've already talked about you know in terms of you know how do we help grow uh, spiritual formation in our students how do we help them really hang on to their faith and so that they really recognize that God is still at work in the world and it's not just about the stories that happen in scripture but God is still active in in the world around us and helping share those stories so that we can kind of cultivate this imagination among amongst ourselves too I'm, I'm not surprised when you dealt with your students or work with students that, that the issue around sexuality, orientation, all of that would come up and be involved in the discussion. But I'm kind of really fascinated that end time theology would be something that they would be thinking about. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's not a conversation piece that has changed. And so when I was in high school, when I was starting out as a youth pastor and, and continuing on, like students are always just kind of want to know how is the world going to end? When is it going to happen? And there's so many competing theologies out there as well. And so trying to give students space to talk about those things and creation is another one that I've had pretty heated uh, debates in my youth groups about as, you know, as I see students firmly holding to a six day view of creation and other students firmly holding to, you know, kind of like an evolutionary faith perspective. And, and I remember one night in particular wondering if a fistfight was going to break out in the room because we had these students with competing views. But I mean, there's, there's just questions that students are, are wrestling with, you know, what are the origins and, and when are things going to end and what does that look like? I'm curious too, you didn't mention anxiety and depression, but that seems like it's everywhere, particularly in the context of ministry with youth. Um, what, uh, what kind of insights do you have around the ways anxiety and depression are affecting youth, that generation? Yeah, thank you for asking that because that is probably one of the biggest issues that, that I've seen as a youth pastor and, and working with, with even volunteers as well. I, as I've had volunteer leaders wrestling with anxiety and depression, even have had bouts with that myself too. Yeah, helping students talk through some of the concerns that are, are causing them anxiety. And I mean, there's, there's so many different things. It's family breakdown, it's global concerns, it's uh, bullying at school, cyberbullying. Like there's so many contributing factors to that. One of the, and, and so I think as, as youth leaders, we need to be on top of that. We need to be uh, creating spaces where students feel safe, where they feel welcomed, where they feel like they can have conversations with leaders that they trust. But I think too, it's also important that we be trained ourselves and I guess it was last month, I attended a, a mental health first aid training with some of our other CBAC leaders. And that was through um, Arpeggio Health Resources and fantastic training and good resource. And so I think as youth leaders, whether we are volunteers, whether we're paid staff, uh, we need to be on top of that and so that we can be yeah, serving our students better, be aware of resources that are in our communities so that we can be pointing um, students to other resources. I don't think we need to see ourselves as the be all and end all, but recognize that there's going to be things that are beyond our scope. And so being aware of those agencies in our community that can, can help our students, help our families as well. I'll say I'm thrilled, but I mean, it's, it's not a great thing to be thrilled about, but I'm thrilled that when you have dialogue with some of our leaders in our churches who are working with our youth, that they're identifying even in their own narrative, the need for wellness or the concerns around wellness and their well-being, you know, that you had raised earlier. I think when I came through, uh, it was still very much a situation or a culture where you didn't talk about those things, which I think has just created so much stress for my generation and above, uh, still trying to process 
through their own feelings of being in ministry and dealing with those extremes of the disappointment and the incredible joy, because there is incredible joy in ministry. But because we work with people, there's incredible challenges in the midst of it as well. And so I love the fact that that's part of the dialogue that you're having. What do you think has changed and maybe what still needs to change in that dialogue amongst um, clergy? I think the dialogue has shifted in wider culture. And so we we see much more attention around events like Bell Let's Talk Day and ending the stigma around mental health. And so I think as our wider culture has shifted and, and has begun opening the dialogue around these areas that finally we're seeing the church start to take notice and be like, oh, maybe we need to talk about this too. Maybe, maybe having a faith in Jesus and having anxiety and depression, those aren't incompatible um, but it doesn't it doesn't mean that we are a weak Christian because we struggle with anxiety or depression and you know and, and that and that's been a challenge you know I, I see that in senior leaders who have almost this like mentality around themselves saying like you know well they can't display weakness and and so they they, they don't want to open up those conversations and and yet our people, not just our youth, but our people in the pews are are dealing with these too. In our in our church last spring, we had a couple of prayer services focused around anxiety and depression, and those were significant, moving times for our people. And we had people share stories that they had never shared in public before. But because the church had opened up this safe space, they they felt able to do that, and it was so good. And so I think for our students to to see that as well, students are used to being to talking about their feelings in in school. Uh, I see that in my preteen daughter. She's in grade five this year. She's had a great teacher in her life who's really helped open up a lot of the dialogue. It was her classroom teacher last year and really helped open up a lot of the dialogue around being able to express her feelings and being able to share the things that were causing anxiety. And so in the first part of this year, when my daughter's class was going through a really hard time and there was a lot of anxiety building up in the classroom, this teacher was still able to go in and to help them process some of those, those emotions and, and um, and so it's been really good seeing that happen at the school level too and, and, and seeing that care given to, to my daughter and her classmates as they were going through some hard stuff. Such an important part. And, and I mean, one of our colleagues, Cheryl Ann Beals, you know, leads the way for us as a denomination. And I just, someone had once said to me, I think the most important part of the ministry and the work that the CBAC does is, is Cheryl Ann's ministry. It's not to take away from what you're stepping into or what, you know, I do or what Lois did for many years with the organization, but it's such an important part for our point in history. And we often talk about the cultural moment that we're in. This is such an important piece to it. And I just want to stop and say that for those who may be listening and who may be struggling with anxiety or depression or are trying to work through uh, some of those issues in their own life and trying to understand that as a leader in, in the CBAC, we can't encourage you enough to um, reach out to someone who can help you process through where you're at and what you're working through. And uh, so I'm just grateful and thankful, Dan, that that's a part of, um, you know, it's a part of my story. It's a part of your story. Uh, it, it's and that we can talk about that to begin to open up and more of the dialogue. Thanks for raising that with us. Yeah. Dan, and I wonder too, if you could um, just transition a little bit and talk about your vision for youth and family within the CBAC and, and you know, what your priorities might be and, and how you see leadership opportunities going forward uh, in this new role for you. Yeah, I'm really excited about uh, the future of youth and family and and the team that I get to work with and the people that are around um, Atlantic Canada. And so 
our team, Joel, Jacqueline, and myself, we're really seeing this as kind of like a, a fresh start in so many ways. We, we love the work that has gone on before us and want to continue building on the strength of the department, uh, but recognize that in, in a lot of ways, this is a fresh team. I'm brand new to my role. Joel's been in his role for about six months. And so this is, this is fresh, this is new. And so over the next few months, we're, we're throwing around some different priorities and some different ideas, but over the next few months, our intention is to kind of do this road trip. And so we're going around to different regions in Atlantic Canada just so that we can hear and, and listen to people's stories, hear their questions and, and, and really help gain a sense, okay, you know, we can set priorities for what our department needs to look like, but we want to make sure that, it, that we are the strongest and healthiest department to better serve our people and, and encourage and equip our people. And so uh, we see this road trip as a way of, of doing that, of, of having those conversations. And, and, and so it's not so much of a, of a tour in which we're going and doing the talking, but it's a conversation tour that we get to go and, and hear and, and, and see what God is up to and, and so that we can continue equipping and encouraging our people to join what God's doing in, in our neighborhoods. And if I'm correct, are there going to be some videos? Yeah, we've got some videos coming up too, and we're really excited about those. And we're looking to, uh, I guess, kidnap is kind of the word I've been throwing out, but kidnap some different leaders uh, in Atlantic Canada, throw them into a car with us, and so that we can kind of do a, a video conversation piece with them as well. And so we want to invite some of our, uh, I guess, more like high-profile CBAC leaders, but we also want to recognize that we've got a lot of, of people, uh, volunteers. Um, who are doing fantastic work that don't always get the same recognition. And so we want to find some of those people too and, and really showcase what they're doing and, and how they're joining God. Um, pretty neat stories out there. and so excited to showcase those. We're huge fans of people telling their story and us being able to get into the stories of those who God's called into, whether it be vocational ministry or volunteer ministry. And so I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing the kidnappings. So do you guys have a launch date for that? I know there was a promo video that you've done and that's up and available. Yeah, we've got a promo video and we have another video. Joel and I uh, grabbed Sid Coop when he was in town uh, last month for the CYWC, the Canadian Youth Workers Conference. And so we've got a conversation with him that'll be uh, dropping soon. And uh, then the, the rest of the videos are still to be filmed, but uh, they'll be coming out as the road trip goes on as well. And so we've been compiling a list of people that we want to tap on the shoulder and say, hey, can you come for a drive with us in a car? So for those of you who are listening to this podcast, we'd encourage you, by the time you listen to this, there may be three or four of them up uh, online. And uh, so we want you to take the opportunity to uh, capture some of the stories of those who are involved uh, in the day-to-day -day ministry with our youth across uh, the Atlantic provinces. Uh, the next conference is coming up and can you just maybe give those who are listening a sense of what the next conference is and what they could expect and why they should either themselves attend or why they should be making sure that there are leaders in their church attending. Yeah, next conference is our annual children's ministry conference that we've been doing for a number of years, and it's happening on April 25th uh, in Moncton at Hillside Baptist Church, and super excited for this event. It is a great way for our, our children's ministry leaders to connect and to receive great training and real encouragement. And so this isn't an event that's only for paid staff. This is really uh, the place where we want our volunteer leaders to come. And so we're hoping that we'll see volunteers from all over, um, 
you know, all over the maritime provinces at least, but it'd be great to see Atlanta, Canada in its fullest uh, at the conference too. The goal of the event is to uh, resource our leaders. There'll be workshops that are there that they can take advantage of. And so as they're thinking about what does children's ministry look like in their context and how can they kind of take it to the next level that this is, those workshops will help spur those on. But it's also a place where we want them to feel encouraged. Uh, children's ministry is is beautiful. There's so many good things about it, but it can also be so demanding and so tiring as well. And and in a lot of context, it doesn't receive maybe the profile that I think it should. And so it's, you know, and so for our volunteers, they may not necessarily see how they are serving the greater kingdom purposes. And I think in a lot of ways, um, our children's ministry is the most important ministry that we do in our churches. And so we really want to pour into those leaders, encourage them and, and help them see, okay, this is this is why you're doing what you're doing. When you go back to your church tomorrow, uh, here are some pieces that you can take back with you as you, as you serve your kids. What a great practical event. Yeah, looking forward to that. And hopefully for those of you who are listening, you'll take the opportunity either to go or to make sure and encourage some of your leaders from your church to go uh, and be a part of that. Yeah, Dan, so last question is, uh, as you kind of take stock of where you are and where you've come from and think about young leaders coming into ministry, uh, is there are there some words of advice you would have to uh, those younger versions of yourself, perhaps, um, as, they, as they kind of venture forward on this path? Yeah, I would say to them, remember that they're not alone and, and sort of find community. And so whether that is some, some peers that they can be meeting with, a mentor to pour into their life, uh, those are some of the most valuable pieces that have been in my life that have, that have helped sustain me through um, the joys of ministry, but also the really hard seasons too. And so in, in my life, I've had um, some great peers that I've connected with. There was a number of years that I was meeting with a couple of other pastors uh, virtually for, as an accountability group, and that was so helpful. Um, and I have another uh, colleague who he's the first person I call for all kinds of reasons and, and, and likewise, and having a mentor as well. Um, I've been fortunate uh, to have uh, Peter Lonis at Grace Memorial Baptist uh, serve as my mentor a couple of different ways when I was going through SFE at Acadia Divinity College. And uh, then when I was going through the Arrow Leadership Program, he was my mentor again for that. And so you know, he's been someone who's had a lot of impact in my life, but having other mentors uh, pour into my life too, it's it's been so valuable. And kind of having those people people that are a little further ahead in the game that um, can speak with with wisdom and experience. It's, it's been very valuable. Well, thank you for taking the opportunity to either download this or to listen online. We appreciate uh, your time in tuning in and listening to uh, the um, Unexpected Leader podcast. And so thanks to uh, Lois for joining me. Appreciate you joining us here. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Unexpected Leader podcast from the Canadian Baptist of Atlantic Canada. We're a family of over 450 churches and organizations joined together with the mission of joining God in our neighborhoods. We're praying this will be an encouraging, stimulating resource for you wherever you're at on your own journey. You might also be considering whether God is unexpectedly calling you as a leader. And if that is you, we invite you to head over to www.yourcalling.ca and check out the content we've created just for you. Again, that website address is www.yourcalling.ca.